We'll start in Genesis chapter 11. Read that briefly as an introduction. We taught there in Sunday school. And uh, as, uh, but I, I want to see the thought as just, just to kind of springboard where we're going this morning. And uh, get my place open here. And uh, Genesis chapter 11, and just for sake of statement, um, not a big deal for my scripture. I'm using mostly my tablet today. I don't normally do that. I prefer to read out of my Bible and look, but for some reason I've been having trouble with my eye lately, and uh, it's just been hard to read. So I put on my tablet and blew up the font real big so I can see it. But uh, so that's why. You see me not open my Bible, that's not normal, I don't like doing it this way, but uh, I'm, I'm just having too much trouble reading, um, reading that font when, it, when I'm preaching right now. But uh, Genesis chapter 11, in, uh, we saw this morning, this is the story of Nimrod, and uh, as they were getting ready to build the Tower of Babel, and uh, there's a couple statements in here that really got my attention. And we know the story. The short story is um, the, the people got together under Nimrod. They thought they were important. They thought, let's build a tower to heaven. Great city. Look at us. God came and stopped it, confused the languages. They scattered around the world. And that's where some of our different places around the world and cultures and things grew from as the world grew. And uh, so that's the short um, version, but there's a couple statements in here, um, and they said, let's look at Genesis 11 and verse 3, and they said one to another, go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly, and they had brick for stone and slime, had they for mortar, and they said, go to, let us build us, us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And he keep reading, it's where God came and, and confounded the language, scattered him. Well, there are a couple things here. It said, let us build a city and a tower. So two, they didn't just want to end up Tower. Sometimes in Sunday school lessons and, and things, you see a picture just in the middle of the desert, and here's a tower they're trying to build. Um, no, they wanted to build a great city to get people's attention and this tower. And, and uh, this tower courts, they said, to reach heaven. So what's going on here is in their pride and arrogance, they thought, let's everyone look so we're somebody, so we don't have to scatter around the world. As we saw in Sunday school, that was disobedience to God. God had told Adam and Eve way back that you need to replenish the earth or populate the earth. And then, of course, God sent the flood. Noah and his family got off the ark, and God said, replenish the earth. Now we have the descendants of Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and they said, we don't want to scatter to replenish the earth. We want to sit here and have 
the earth by itself somehow replenish itself, I guess, and people come and look at us and look at our great city. So this was the first step of their disobedience to God. And they wanted this great city, hey, look at us. It's all about us. Hey, we can communicate. We can do this great thing. Uh, we can build this tower to heaven. And everyone in the world, what this is about is going to be a one-world government, one-world religion. They tried in, in Genesis. They said, we're going to have this great city that people are going to look at us and then we're going to have this tower to go to heaven well if you want to get to heaven you're going to have to come here to do it our way and it really is about a religion but notice what God said in verse 6 Genesis 11 and verse 6 and the Lord said behold the people is one and they have all one language and this they began to do and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. So God said because they can communicate, they all speak one language, they're on accord, they think they can get to heaven their own way, and their pride and arrogance has taken over, God said there is nothing that they can't do. Now, now that's sort of a compliment. That's not what God meant here. God is not complimenting this group of people but the fact that God made us originally in his image. Well, we, we can do more sometimes than we think we can. Uh, we can do more than, than what um, the world sometimes tries to oppress. And, 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 and there's always been resistance on man trying to do a great thing. Now, I'm talking about good. I'm not talking about this is a slap in the face of God, what they're doing. They're trying to get to heaven on their own merit. They're not doing it God's way. This is not a good situation. I'm not trying, but God said, hey, because they're talking, because they're doing this, that God said nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. But after this, God, man could have done great things. What if man would have used this thought and man would have used this communication? What if they would have used this to glorify God? And what if that of every one of their offspring that they grew and, and, and their families grew and they're replenishing the earth and talking about how great God is and knowing that we can serve God with our life and taking that liberty that God had gave them and taking them that free will that God gave them and taking all these thoughts and said we're going to serve God with our life and imagine if in serving God, God could have made the statement that nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. What if that could have been used in a good way? You know, just about every time in history when somebody wanted to do something that we think is great, um, some new invention, um, some, some uh, great project, some, um, you know, when, when, uh, when uh, creating... For example, go back when they created electricity. Um, go back and great, great inventors. And they always had resistance. There was always somebody there that said they couldn't do it. God, in this sense, is telling me that God made us in his image back in an early part of Genesis when God created man, but also that man is capable of doing whatever we can imagine or do. 
Now that does take a collective, that's why church later, and I'll just mention this, we'll go on, it's not the sermon today, but, but I mentioned to use this, God always had an assembly or a congregation, the words are sometimes used interchangeably throughout the Bible, but that is a group of people, not as this, in this setting, this is the entire population of the world at that time. This may be the only time in history and in future history that everyone in the world is on the same page. Now they're on the wrong page, <laughs> they're doing the wrong thing, they have the wrong agenda, but this may be the only time in history that everyone in the world is on the same page and, and has the same goal and has the same uh, mindset. And uh, But, man, we can do, if we'd get that congregation or that assembly of God's people and, and, and with an own power, we know in God's power we can do something great um, for God. But here's the thing that's really about pride. If you'll turn to Mark chapter 7, really they had the pride and the arrogance that they thought they could build a tower and get to heaven. I just want to give that as a thought or introduction, Mark chapter 7 and verse 22. Um, Mark chapter 7 and verse 22. Really, um, I, I will quickly here go read, uh, let's start reading in verse 1. I want to give you the context. Um, this happens often. Then came together unto him the Pharisees, and certain of the scribes, which came at, from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat, eat bread with the file, that is to say with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the market, except they wash, they eat not, that they, and many other things, there be which have received to hold as the washing of the cups and the pots, brazen vessels, and of the tables. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashing hands? And he answered unto them, So the charge, I'll stop there just for a moment. I'm going to adjust this a little bit. I hear... A little bit of ringing there. So, so far we have the Pharisees are accusing Jesus. Why are your disciples eating without washing your hands first? Now, there's a couple of things going on here. One is they were partially right, holding to the old law and, and the things God had set down. If you go back to, to a, a Leviticus and Deuteronomy and that area, one of the things, sometimes we refer to the law as, oh, they gave sacrifices, and it's about their sin, and, and we try, no, the law was laid out as an entire um, way of life for their civilization when they came out of Egypt, and they were wandering in the wilderness, and God gave everything from how to go to the bathroom, how to wash your hands, how to stop diseases, what to eat, what not to eat, so you get sick. That was not as much ceremonial as some culture try to hold on to in their religious ceremonies of, well, we can't eat pork because, and, and make it a religious thing. Most of them don't even know why they're doing it. Um, th this was about, that was a health issue. That, that was not about religion. That was not about salvation. That was health issues. And, and God told them, you know, it's, a, it's amazing through history. Even years ago, I wish I could remember right now because it just came to me. But, 
But uh, the doctors that didn't use to sanitize things and wash their hands and people were getting sick and dying. And, and, and uh, the guy, I just heard it recently. I wish I could remember the details. Um, if I'd have thought of it ahead of time, I'd have looked it all up. But uh, the doctor that first figured out that they're passing disease, they're passing things from patient to patient, and they need to wash their hands before they go touch another patient. And they thought not only thought he was crazy, and their pride, they didn't want to admit that they could have been wrong and caused people to die, that they ran him out of the medical community and actually had that man committed to a mental institution because he was crazy, because he thought doctors should wash their hands. That's not new. God told the children of Israel to do that way back in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Wash your hands under running water. And it's not a new thing. Um, God did it. But that's where they're getting this tradition from. Um, so, so they're not, the Pharisees here aren't totally wrong, but they're wrong in the concept in practice and daily life. It's not, hey, you're not a good Christian because you wash your hands or don't wash your hands. Yeah, they're missing the whole point of your heart attitude toward God. But the idea was a good idea. That was a proper tradition. That was a very right thing that the Pharisees were talking about. They just had their attitude all wrong about it. So then they were saying that Pharisee, now, now remember that Jesus' disciples were fishermen. Some of them were. They came from different backgrounds, but but a couple of them, you know, Peter, I, I, w I would imagine, it doesn't say, I don't know, it's strictly speculation, it might have even include all of them, I, I don't know what the deal was here, but they came, took some bread, the Pharisees saw some of the disciples, or all the disciples, eat without washing their hands. I would imagine that Peter and James and John being out in the boat and being fishermen, they probably often ate without washing their hands first. Um, that, that's not, but that's, so their tradition was good. They, they had the right thing in the letter of the law, but they're missing the bigger picture here. So Jesus answered, and he answered, verse 6, answered, said, I know, well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, as it is written, the people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. So Jesus called the Pharisees out. The, the Pharisees are saying, hey, they're not washing their hands. You're all wrong. You're all wicked. What's wrong with all you? You're not doing it right. And uh, Jesus saying, hey, um, <laughs> Isaiah even prophesied. Jesus called them hypocrites. Right off the, right off the bat, he said, um, so uh, what he's saying is that you people honor me with their lips. In other words, you're trying to say you're doing right. You're trying to say you're honoring me by doing these little petty details, but your heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain, verse 7, do they worship me teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold the tradition of men as, it's on the detailed exact tradition here, ye hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things ye do. And he said unto them, Full well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. For Moses said, Honor thy father and thy mother, and whoso curses thy father and mother, let him die the death. But ye say, If a man shall say unto his father or mother, It is carbon, that is to say, a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be proffered me, ye shall be free. And ye suffer him 
more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition as ye have delivered, and many such like things ye do. So Jesus is getting on him, telling him, hey, you're, you're not taking care of your parents. Uh, you're not doing the things right that I've told you to do. You're worried about these petty traditions because it's your tradition. You think you're serving God because you hold to a tradition, but your heart's not right, and you're not doing a whole bunch of other things I've told you to do. And that's kind of what he's saying. So he goes on to explain that. Now jump down to verse 22 with that thought in mind. Um, for let's go with 21 with that thought they're not living right their hearts not right from within verse 21 for from within out of the heart of men proceeded evil proceed evil thoughts adultery fornications and murder thieves covetousness wickedness deceit lasciviousness and evil eye blasphemy pride and foolishness all of these things come from within and defile a man and uh, so Jesus saying a whole bunch of things he lists, but he did mention uh, pride and said these things defiled the man. So the Pharisees are coming to Jesus to tell his disciples not wash your hands before they eat. That's horrible. You're defiling things. You're you're, you're unclean. You're you're dirty. You're not living right. And Jesus saying you're a hypocrite because you're not living right. You got a whole bunch of things you're doing wrong, and pride is one of the things that Jesus mentioned. Now. We, we need to be cautious. Sometimes I'm calling, there's nothing wrong calling sin out. Make sure we're right. Make sure we're living right and, and have the right intention on calling that out. But uh, one of the things is pride. The Pharisees came and said, hey, we're right. We're doing everything right. They came out of their way to try to watch Jesus to uh, get, get him to to uh, mess up and see if they could catch him in something. And they thought they had something because the disciples aren't washing their hands of all things. And Jesus saying, hey, there's a whole lot more going on. And pride is part of that. I'm going to go real fast in several verses. Um, if you're able to turn and want to, um, I understand. I encourage it. But I just want to say, right, I got it for kind of introduction's sake. I got several verses quickly, and then we'll slow down a little bit and make some thoughts. Um, so, able next verse, Leviticus 26, 19. Leviticus 26, 19. Leviticus 26, 19, we saw this in Sunday school. This is the very first time the word pride is used in the Bible. Remember we talk about there's what we call in study is called a law of first mention. Now that's not an absolute. Some people hold to that harder than they should. But the first time a particular word is used in Scripture does give us kind of an idea of where that word's going to be, how that word is going to be used throughout the Bible. And uh, so Jesus is talking, now back for time's sake, I'm not going to go read it, but uh, Leviticus is going back, and God is really getting on Israel right now. God is really after them for they're not living right. God is threatening them. God is telling them you better straighten up. And, and God, so in that context here, God says, I will break the pride of your power in verse 19. That's an interesting phrase. Um, God is, if you think of someone prideful, go back to Nimrod in Genesis 11. 
And we have here a man that thought he had some authority and got the, and at that time in Genesis 11, the whole world to follow him. And what did he want to do with that power? He wanted to build a tower to get to heaven so people would have to come and see him to go to heaven. And, and that's pride. But he had that power. He had, he had a position, and, and he had, and they got going together, and they were kind of in one mind on what they were going to do. And, and God, so God's telling Israel, the entire nation of Israel was wrong. The entire nation of Israel was living against God. The entire nation of Israel was sinning. And God said here, I will break the pride of your power. So there seems to be a power with that control, that leadership, and that and what power. But also, we can look at it, we'll see in a little while, how pride affects people. And uh, so the pride of your power, what is holding you? Pride can get a hold and, and control and, and uh, do First Samuel 17. Sometimes, I remember I may mention this again, but when people get into pride, a bitterness, a depression, a place where pride in a way controls them, maybe it's authority, maybe it's a teaching. I've seen some Bible teachers and, and preachers get this, where they get to the point of arrogance that they think they got something to say that's more important, and they're really wrong scripturally, but they really believe they're right. And I uh, got this. So what we have here is usually people that are prideful tend to accuse other people of pride often. <laughs> um, this is a place in 1 Samuel 17. Remember, David's father, Jesse, told David, hey, go take some food to your brothers right around the battlefield. Go see how they're doing. I haven't heard from them, miss them. So, so the father, saying the son, the youngest son is still home, not fighting in battle. Then, hey, your others for me. I just want to hear from them and hear something to take them. So uh, David gets there and looking around and seeing what's going on and starts questioning the battle. Hey, who's this giant that keeps mouthing off about our God? How come someone's not doing something about it? He's just innocent, just saying, hey, someone's mocking God. Why isn't someone dealing with it? Well, in that idea, and he, you know, verse 1 Samuel 17, 28, and Eliab's eldest brother heard when he spoke unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou down hither? And without whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and thy naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come that thou mightest see the battle. Maybe it's conviction talking, I don't know. David was not being prideful here. Um, David was just doing what his father said. He come down and said, hey, uh, this guy down there mocking God, why isn't someone dealing with it? I don't know. Maybe Eliab should have known better. Maybe he should have been one to act. Um, I, I don't know what's going on here, but it really shows he accuses David of being prideful, but really it's Eliab being prideful here. And uh, we see that Psalm chapter 10. Psalm chapter 10. Psalm 10 and verse 1 says, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thyself in times of trouble? 
Sometimes we get, if we're not cautious in our pride, we can ask that. We dealt with that recently when we preached on Jesus sleeping in the ship and the storm and the disciples were scared and Mark and, and, and uh, the storm's coming up and really the ship was full of water. Jesus, even though they said, hey, why aren't you here? Why aren't you dealing with Jesus is sleeping? Hey, and Jesus, well, how can you sleep in this? Don't you care about us? Really, if the ship actually was full of water, as the Bible says, and we believe the Bible, Jesus was the only one keeping that ship above water, even though the disciples saw him as sleeping. So sometimes in, 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 our, in, in our carelessness or our caution, uh, we question God. He said, why, why are you hiding? Why, well, I'm having trouble here. Where are you, God? Uh, we need to be cautious with that thought. There's nothing wrong. God wants us to reach out to him. God wants us to bring our trouble to him. God wants us to pray. God wants it, but we need to be cautious of what our attitude is when we do it. And uh, so, uh, verse 2, The wicked in his pride does persecute the poor. Let them be taken in devices that they have imagined. And for the wicked boasts of his heart's desire, and the blesses the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth the wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. And that's a, that's a true statement there. And Psalms 59, let's go to Psalms 59. Psalms 59 and verse 12. For the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride and for the cursing and lying which they speak. So it's, it's uh, referring to people live, living wicked. I'm living, but it says taken in their pride, assuming that they're living wicked. Pride goes with that. Uh, Proverbs 16. Proverbs chapter 16. And verse 18, that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And it goes on to talk about being humble. That's just what pride can do to you. And uh, I, Isaiah, we won't turn there now, that chapter, Isaiah 14 and verse 12, described when Lucifer was kicked out of heaven and became Satan. We have that. Go to Isaiah chapter 28, though. Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah 28, 1. Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which are on the head of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. And uh, so talking about a group of people living right, getting drunk, but they have pride to do it. Verse 3, the crown of pride, the drunkards of Ethereum shall be trodden under feet. So it's talking about the crowd of pride, how they flaunt themselves. You ever seen people flaunt their wickedness? And uh, so I want to change gears. We still have a lot of scripture to look at, but uh, I want to show some of the thought and process on what pride can do. Pride comes in different forms. Sometimes people fail to recognize um, that form, and I want to show you a couple things, a couple thoughts with Scripture on being cautious with 
pride. We think of pride one, one way. We think of pride, somebody building themselves up. Hey, I'm better than you, therefore I have pride. Um, there, there's different ways of pride dealing with this idea, pride or selfish. Um, Psalm 73, 6 is a, uh, a good thought. Psalm 73, 6, therefore pride compasses them about as a chain. Violence covers them as a garment. Therefore, pride compasses them about as a chain. Now, how can pride cover you, if you will, compass about you, be as a chain, be binding, be, be that, in a sense, controlling? Throughout the Bible, there's so many scriptures throughout the Bible dealing with pride, dealing with some of these issues. These are just a few and a couple thoughts. I do have several verses to show these thoughts, but um, a, a couple simple thoughts as we try to bring this to a point. As far as I know, and the people in this room, and people that I'm preaching to, um, maybe you don't struggle with pride, but I want to open up the Bible and show you that sometimes there's an element of pride in other things we do, and we just don't realize it's pride. We may or may not realize what we're doing in these other things, but we may not realize the connection with pride and how God looks at it. And, and the reason, I'm not trying to make up things. I'm not trying to add, oh, you're really sinning when you don't realize it or, or that. that. That's not my goal. My goal is to be a genuine help or if you're, hey, today I'm not dealing with any of these issues at all. But to give you a scripture and idea, you probably know somebody that is and maybe you can be a help to them if you take and understand the scripture here. Um, one of the things is, as we go, dealing with pride is this idea in the Bible, usually referred to in bitterness, and today sometimes we look at it as depression. Notice some of the things that, remember, David's, David's oldest brother, first was just an outright attack, <laughs> David is questioning the battle. Hey, here's some stuff from dad. And hey, who's this loudmouth down here criticizing God? Why isn't someone dealing with it? And he just went on. If you notice that list that we read in 1 Samuel, um, he, he was getting David. You just wanted to come. Yeah, hey, who'd you leave those sheep with anyway? And, and uh, you just wanted to come down and see the battle. And, and you're full of pride. And you just, just attacked. Holy cow. He said, wait a minute. There's, there's a problem there of some bitterness, um, some connect. I don't know what his bitterness come from, but uh, there, there's a show there. As we go, let's go to Hebrews 12, 15. Hebrews 12, 15. So looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Now, that's not talking about our salvation or that we can lose salvation or anything like that. God's grace is his favor. God's grace is how he helps us. God's grace deals with his encouragement. Remember a couple examples of grace is in Noah. When, when God said, I'm going to destroy the earth, but it says Noah found grace in the eyes of God. Another one from Paul, whatever his infirmity was, whatever the thorn of the flesh was, whatever was eaten at him, three different times he went to God, God, take this from me. And God said, no, I'm not taking it, but my grace is sufficient. And Paul said, that's enough. That's what I need. I, I can live with that. 
there's, there's an element of grace. So grace is, yes, grace is part of salvation. We have salvation because of God's grace. But grace in of itself is not salvation. Uh, that's just God's, God's favor on us. And, uh, and usually not earned. So it's saying, look, looking diligent, lest any man fail of the grace of God. It's not God that's failing. It's me failing to say, I'm not using God's grace. I'm trying to get through life on my own. I'm not tapping into God's grace that God already gave me. I am failing of God's grace. That's not God being a failure. That's me. And so look and diligent, lest any man fail of the God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. So a couple things. One is, it's not me using God's grace to get by. And it's two, it said, lest that root of bitterness springing up, if I'm not tapping into God's grace and doing things by the word of God, I'm liable to get bitter. That root is going to start growing and, and, and dig up and, and, and trouble me. Bitterness in the Bible, if you trace through Bible, we did a study some time ago. Um, if you study bitterness throughout Scripture, you'll find that almost every aspect of bitterness in the Bible, where we use the word bitterness, it corresponds with the, the actions of every person I've ever dealt with living in depression. They, they go together every time. And, and uh, so, so we have this, so it says trouble you. That's how that root of bitterness can trouble you. You, you'll never be at peace. You'll never be okay. Been on my mind this week. I don't know where I'm going with it, so I'll mention it and move on. Um, that uh, many false religions, one of the things lacking in works-based religions or cults or false religions, wherever they come from, one of the problems is none of those religions understand biblical peace. You can't try to work your way to heaven and find peace. You can't be good enough in God's eyes and try to find peace. Uh, you, can, you, can't, uh, um, you can't have these religions that require all kinds of actions or work, or, or that's one of the issues that people have witnessed to in, uh, in Islam, for example, um, that deal with all these things. It's, it's not about peace. They don't understand peace. Uh, they have no comprehension of peace. And uh, that's why that part of the world, and there was so many wars and things. There's probably good people. Hey, if you grow up in that and maybe don't know better, I'm not faulting every individual in the world that go whatever the religion is. But uh, you, you cannot find peace if you are trying to work your way to heaven. And uh, so, you, so you're lacking that peace. And, and when you try to show some kindness and some peace to some of these people, it gets their attention. They, they don't understand that. How do you just show kindness to a stranger? They're, they're not expecting that. They don't, they don't understand that, that element of and any works, a modern, the Catholic Church, and, 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 and all these cult types are trying to work their way to heaven. There's no peace. So what we have here is looking to you're ignoring the grace of God. That's your fault. So building up the root of bitterness is going to trouble you. And it says, therefore, many be defiled. The false religion teaching that. That's why there's many 
are defiled. Somebody, a bitter person, hey, no one wants to be around you. You're going to defile other people. Uh, it's going to spread. It's going to grow. It's, it's going to breed into others and, and teach others, and, and that affects it. So we have that thought there. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 is Paul's second letter to Timothy as a young preacher and giving Timothy advice on how to live and as he grows as a preacher to serve God. And uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. If I'm a saved child of God... And, and, and I'm all over everywhere, can never make a decision. Um, I can't get it right. Woe is me. I'm trying to figure out I need doctors and medication just to make my mind function. And, and, and I'm getting through with what bitterness does, what depression does, what all these things. I, one is I'm missing some peace, for one. And say, God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And uh, so we can have... That peace, we can have that sound mind and bring peace even in this world if we're living right with God. Now the opposite, how does this go along with pride? You were talking about pride, right? What is it? Well, the problem is, in pride, when I'm living in pride, I'm not seeking after God. Remember some of the first uh, verses we saw in Psalms and Proverbs. Now the wicked aren't seeking after God. The prideful aren't for God. Uh, they think they can do it their way. I've had to prove as pride. I've had some of these issues where I've tried to counsel and help people with some of these issues and, and depression, those things. And, and the first thing, they come and, and well, well, well you're, you're not a doctor. You don't know this. You're not this. And, and they got all 100 excuses of why they're living the way they're living and said, I just gave you scripture. I'm just trying to help you with the Bible. I'm just trying to tell you what God says. But in their pride, they refuse to do it God's way. So if we want to have peace and joy, we, we just have to figure out how to do it God's way. And uh, so we have that. Philippians 4, another somewhat popular verse, Philippians 4 and verse 7, is, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Notice that it doesn't say just some peace. It says the peace of God which passes all understanding. In other words, I can't understand it. I don't even know how to describe it. It passes all understanding. Shall keep your hearts. Now, we can apply that salvation. That makes sense. When something God does, doesn't understand. He's the one keeping us. I'm saved. I can't lose my salvation. That's an easy one to explain. But it says it shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If we want to have peace in this world, we need to look at what God's plan is and how what God's way is and what um, this means as we follow um, God's plan instead of trying to figure it out our own way in, uh, when we're looking for this idea of peace. Or we should say the opposite of Pride. Let's go to Isaiah 38. Isaiah chapter 38. We see an example here of both Isaiah 
38 and verse 15. What shall I say? He hath both spoken unto me, and himself hath done it. I shall go softly all my years in bitterness of my soul. So someone's dealing with bitterness. Deep in my soul, it's a deep bitterness. O oh Lord, by these things men live, and all these things is the life of my spirit. So wilt thou recover me and make me to live. So I'm dealing with bitterness. I'm dealing. Now the prayer is, God, hey, you need to help me here. You need to help me live again. You ever see, met somebody, man, I met people, just they get shut down. I remember that verse when I read in uh, Psalm 73, it's a bondage, and it comes as like chains, and, and, and this stuff is, is, is it just controlling. Well, it starts with pride. And I said, how in the world, then figure out how we're connecting pride with this bitterness and depression stuff. Because pride starts with me. Pride's about me. And when we start looking at all the things wrong in the world, all the things wrong, we live in a world, just look out there, why people are so uneasy. All the unrest we've seen lately. All the unrest, even recently here in, in our cities, in the Twin Cities, riots and all this stuff. It starts with me and I deserve something and I want. That's where it starts. That's pride. It starts with that. It doesn't even matter if the cause was good or not. It doesn't matter if the original intent was good. I know people that are unassociated with stuff, just family and stuck, and, and, and myself, and how do I get? I deserve more. I should have bigger. I should have more money. I should have more house. I should have more friends. I should. Nobody cares about me. You're looking at yourself, and it's pride, and that's what starts this whole cycle. And uh, so we have here someone living in bitterness of soul, verse 15, verse 16, called out to God. Verse 17, behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. So in salvation, in living for God, that peace that passes all understanding, that shall keep my heart and mind through Christ Jesus, we see an example here. He said, I was bitter, but God, in your peace and, and in your love, you helped deliver me from that corruption, and, and you threw it away. That's where we find life. So, so this idea of bitterness, which can lead to depression and all these other things, um, we, we have and we see that there is a way out. That uh, I guess, Turn to Proverbs 8. I, I have more verses, but uh, we're watching the time here and you're studying on some of these subjects. There's many, many scriptures on it. But uh, Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8, verse 13. I want you to see this one. Give you a minute to find it. Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Well, the, comma, the comma there says a break, or a colon, and there's a break there in the verse. Now, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Well, that makes sense. If I fear God, I should hate evil, right? That, that's, that makes sense. But notice, it goes on. It says, pride and arrogancy and the evil way, and the forward mouth, do I hate? 
Notice pride is mentioned in there, but what an arrogant arrogancy is kind of in pride, but but uh, it is different. But notice that fear of the Lord is to hate evil. But it says evil is kind of a broad term. There are plenty of things that could be listed under evil. We have a whole list. If you say, let's put on a board and start writing down things that are evil, that list could get pretty long pretty fast. But notice the first specific thing that's mentioned is pride. And uh, so, so God hates pride, and God hates, hates these other things, but if I'm going to fear God and I'm going to live for God, I have to hate pride, but that has to start with myself. You know, when you go in the book of Matthew, people love that verse that says to judge not. <laughs> but if you read in context that whole passage, it's talking about me, not how I see others. It's talking about me getting myself right so I can help a brother. Well, all the way through the Bible, it talks about the word judgment and helping. And if I see sin and call it out and help a brother or sister in Christ and, and say, hey, God's word says something different, maybe you should take a look at this in your life. That's fine, but I need to do it first in my own life and uh, get rid of that pride and, and, and go and start and notice this idea. We get pride in the way, circle back. So we still have false religion today telling people to work their way to heaven, just like we saw in Genesis chapter 11, thousands of years ago. We have Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and uh, go there, kind of is the same thought. If we want to look at our salvation, and we want to look at our way to heaven, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. The reason God made salvation so easy is so we could get our pride out of the way. Um, the reason God made it so easy was if God put any factor in it at all that had to do with me, we would be arrogant we get to, we, and, and we'd boast. Notice verse 9 says that not of works, lest any man should boast. In other words, I can't have pride and get saved. Now, I'm not talking about work salvation or or that, oh, I got to figure out, do I think I have pride and I got to confess and give up sin to get saved? And oh, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when I realize I'm a sinner, I'm on my way to hell, Jesus died on the cross in my place, I just have to simply accept that gift. Pride, you can't do that. If I'm holding on to I have to do, I have to fix, I have to change, I have to do this over here to get salvation, that, that's pride. If I do it God's way, it doesn't include pride. And uh, so we have that. It really, it comes back to the gospel. Our salvation is gospel, as Paul told Timothy, that uh, God will keep our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So it really comes back to the gospel. We get the gospel right, we can get the rest of this right. We keep applying the gospel, live the gospel, we get the rest of this right. And understand, I want to live for God, I want to fear God, I, I want to know God, I, I want to I be, but I want to have peace in this world. We have to do it God's way. One more passage, Romans chapter 8. Uh, I've used this many times for different things. One of my favorite parts of the Bible, but it explains this very well. You go back and read the first few verses in front and after. This is the idea of when I'm saved, when I got saved. I was a child of the devil. I got saved. I became a child of God. But that process is today we call it adoption. You belong to someone else. 
whatever reason, you know, that separation is there. You need a family. I adopt you. God, God said, so this is an adoption. And uh, so for verse 15, Romans chapter 8, verse 15, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And of children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So we're children of God through adoption. But notice, it says in verse 15, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. So he didn't start with, yeah, you got it figured out, you're adopted, you're a child of God now, that's great, that's wonderful. But the first thing he said in this passage and this group was, you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. How to get out of the bondage of spirit? First of all, keep your pride in check. If you keep your pride in check, you won't have to worry about bitterness. Okay, keep your pride in check so you don't have to worry about bitterness. You don't have to worry about the depression, all the other stuff going on in the world that, that gets your attention away from the things of God. God said, for you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Uh, we're not bound by the things in this world. Uh, we're not bound by worrying about eternity. I'm saved. I accepted Christ. When I die, I'm going to heaven. I have absolutely nothing to fear in this life. My eternity is settled. Jesus did it. Jesus paid the price. My faith is in him. I rely on God's grace. That's where peace comes from, is understanding what God did. It all circles back to the gospel. Let's stand together. I don't know what everyone's dealing with, but there's a concern. I'm not saying everything I preach today does not eliminate genuine concerns in our life. We have heartaches. We have times of grief. We, we have time. Just let God's grace work through those times and, and, and allow it to not build pride. But, but uh, God wants to help us. God wants to give us that peace. God wants us to live in peace so that we can do great things for God. in prayer. God, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for this time together in your word. God, I pray that you'll help us uh, to trust in your grace and in your word and what you gave us to that we could live in peace. God, I pray that you'll help us, bless us, give us courage and strength as we go serve you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.